Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, what's going on today? Well, Eric, we have a great show lined up today for our small business owner clients. And uh, I was talking to today's guest, who is uh, David Miller, who is the Senior Vice President at Enterprise Bank. Uh, we were having a conversation recently about the unique lending needs of small business owners. And I thought it'd be great to bring him on the show because uh, the bank he's with, Enterprise Bank, is a uh, it's a bank that's it's local here in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, but it was founded by business owners for business owners. And I just felt that he was a wealth of knowledge on this topic. And uh, you know, something that our our owner clients that we work with uh, definitely need to hear more about what their options are for either buying into a company or what somebody's going to go through when they sell a company to perhaps their uh, their family or maybe key people. What's it like if, it's, if somebody outside the company is going to be buying them out? But also, what are the financing opportunities and needs that they have over time when they're trying to grow and expand the company? So uh, so David's got all kinds of information to share. So with that, David, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for uh, having me on. Absolutely. Hey, Jim, I'm going to jump in just for a second. Uh, I don't want to interrupt your flow here, but I'm going to speak directly to the audience. Small business owners that are listening to this right now, we don't do this often. Here's the thing is that as a small business owner and Jim, as, as a small business owner, you know this, it is not easy. It is difficult out there for small businesses. Please share this podcast. I'm going to say it up front before I say it at the end as well. Share this podcast with another business owner that you know, because this is the information that they need. And we're all in this together, quite honestly, against the much larger corporations trying to make it out there. Absolutely. Sorry, but I, I just, Absolutely. It's all good, Eric. It's all good. The audience likes you. So don't worry about it. So. Oh, thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. <laughs> I get more compliments on Eric than I do anybody else. So this is good. <laughs> but, uh, right, but, but David, seriously, welcome to the show. And, and we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to share with our audience. So um, I guess to start things off, tell us a little bit about about yourself and an enterprise bank and your history with the bank. Sure, sure. So, so as you mentioned, Jim, enterprise bank, uh, we're, we're in a small community bank in suburban Pittsburgh, but what makes us unique is we are 100% small business focused. So we don't do home mortgages or car loans or consumer loans. Everything we do here in enterprise is geared towards uh, small businesses. And that's every stage of their life cycle. I mean, from that, we do a fair number of startup, uh, business fi financing scenarios, expansions, and acquisition financing for, for businesses. The bank uh, was founded in 98 uh, by a group of entrepreneurs. So we only have one or two career bankers in our mix to keep us from doing uh, uh, things that aren't in compliance with the banking regulations, which... <laughs> Let me tell you, our extensive no shortage these of days. regulations. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, you know, it's a, it's really a unique business model. Um, I manage our group of relationship managers, and they all have a vested personal financial stake in the loans that they make to small businesses, both on the income side and they also share in any loss the bank might incur. So they've got true skin in the game. Uh, so for that reason, you know, that's another reason we don't have a lot of career bankers here at Enterprise because most bankers, 
you know, aren't willing to take the risk associated with uh, essentially, you know, investing, but investing through uh, through debt financing in small businesses. My personal background uh, is, you know, I've been here at the bank uh, for 20 years. Um, and prior to that, spent uh, a little over 10 years working for the Small Business Administration, the SBA. So my whole career has been in small business financing and working with small businesses. And, uh, you know, it's it as you uh, alluded to, Eric, it's it's very different uh, than dealing with, you know, uh, financing or banking or lending to large organizations. So, Dave, when you say small business, let's just talk about the size of of clientele that you guys serve. Uh, what what is a small business to enterprise bank? Yeah, so you know this the overall definition that the the Small Business Administration has for a small business is really quite large by most people's standards. I mean, you know, manufacturing and wholesaling businesses can have up to five hundred employees and still be small. Retail service. You know, typically uh, anything from about, uh, depending on your industry, you know, 10 million in sales or less. But enterprise itself really focuses on uh, the lower, uh, the lower end of the spectrum in terms of size. So most most of our clients are anywhere from, you know, a startup again up to about 10 million in sales, um, mom and pop businesses, family owned businesses. Uh, we kind of end where big banks call middle market, which is more of your corporate type lending. So we're typically dealing with with owner operators. They they may some have, they may have some investors in their group, but typically it's it's closely held businesses that we're dealing with. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about small business financing. And you know, I know there's a lot that goes into a decision that an underwriter has to make, and in uh, determining whether that that loan is going to fit for the bank and and what the risks are going to be, but can you walk us through what 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 goes into you know credit and and those kinds of things? Sure, sure. Well, let me let me start with kind of a um, kind of a reality check for uh, uh, you know the the playing field for small business and banks. So you know of everything that a bank does, small business lending is the riskiest. Uh, line of business that that most banks become involved with. I mean, entrepreneurs are risk takers by nature, and bankers are you know, risk mitigators by nature. So you have this, you know, this kind of I call it a tug of war uh, between you know um, entrepreneurs who are not risk adverse and bankers who are risk adverse. Now we at Enterprise, being that we're entrepreneurial in nature, we try to push. You know, push those limits as far as we can. Um, you know, still make good business decisions, but at the end of the day, you know, we have examiners, whether it be the FDIC or the State Department of Banking, that oversee what we do. So it's often frustrating for small business owners when they're dealing with a bank that they just don't understand. You know, the the banking environment and the risk environment that banks need to operate in. I mean, if you look at all the different types of financing that are out there. Bank financing is the least expensive from a, from an interest rate perspective, but because it, it's got the lower interest rate uh, associated with bank financing versus, you know, whether it be uh, online lenders, credit cards, or and then ultimately equity, which, you know, can have an unlimited payback. You know, business owners have to recognize that when when a bank is making a loan. 
uh, it's only operating typically off of a three or four percent margin in in most banks in terms of their commercial lending activity. So you can't take a whole heck of a lot of risk when you're operating under under that type of margin. So what we do at enterprises, we use a lot of different tools that are out there to reduce our risk, but still get small business owners the financing they need. What will be some some examples of those tools? So, you know, um, because of my background and and also our bank, you know, we we embrace the SBA uh, loan programs and and those are typically, I equate them for a small business owner to an insurance policy essentially for the bank. So, you know, for small business loans that make sense from a business perspective, but may not fit a traditional conventional credit box for a bank. Um, the bank can apply on the borrower's behalf to basically receive government-sponsored insurance for, you know, a, a good portion of the risk the bank takes. That allows us to still do startups, still do businesses that are in industries that have, you know, higher than average default rates, whether that be, you know, restaurants or hotels or, um, you know, uh, service-based businesses that don't have a lot of collateral associated with them. We can use that government guarantee through the SBA uh, to mitigate the bank's risk and still get the financing, the capital needed into the into the hands of the small business owner. So you guys, because you're you're founded by entrepreneurs, uh, you you definitely get the uh, you know the entrepreneurial mindset. How do you guys find that balance? Because an entrepreneur, I mean, it's like there's there's no limit to the opportunities that they see with an idea. You know, and of course, everything's going to be the next big thing, and this is going to be huge and be great. We need this loan approved. And I would just picture that a, an entrepreneur that owns owns the bank or started the bank is probably like, "Yeah, I'm right there with you." How how do they find that balance between getting excited with their uh, with their client, but also having to make some some tough decisions on the on the risk side? Yeah. So you know, let, let me kind of go back to the basics here. And you know, most people that are credit trained in in banks and other lending institutions, they're kind of trained on what we call the five C's of credit. So I'll take them one by one and, and, and you know, be as brief as possible uh, for, for timing considerations. But, you know, the first thing we look at is, is the character. And, you know, what is character? Well, that's really hard to define until you actually have a relationship with a small business owner uh, and you determine, you know, uh, their willingness to repay. Up front, when you don't have a relationship with the bank, unfortunately, the way that that willingness that character determination is made is really through personal credit history of the uh, of the principles of, of a closely held small business. And that can many times be kind of an unfair uh, optic because, you know, we all in life deal with different circumstances. You know, you lose your job, you have a health problem, you go through a messy divorce. All those things can have a bearing on on the credit. Um, so unfortunately, you know, credit history is really, really important, particularly when you're in the startup mode and seeking financing. Now, after that, once you have a relationship with a bank, it's really based upon how you've handled the credit with the bank, made your payments on time, provided the financial reporting that most banks require on commercial, uh, type loan structures. So, you know, character for existing businesses is much easier to determine when you already have a relationship with them. The other thing we deal with, um, and probably the biggest of the C's is what we call capacity. And capacity is you got to show us that you have the ability to repay the loan. 
So, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, rightfully so, seek equity because their concept is not yet proven. So equity investors uh, will, will take a risk on an unproven concept for a huge upside potential. You know, a bank that's providing financing wants to see that a product or service is already commercialized, accepted in the market, and has a good potential for revenue going forward. So one of those limiting factors, Jim, that you mentioned is, you know, a dream is not necessarily what you finance with a, uh, a small business loan from a bank. But when you've proven your concept, whatever product or service offering that may be, and you don't want to dilute yourself with, um, you know, other owners, other investors, bank debt is, is, a, is a great answer because you, you, you can leverage debt-based financing and not, you know, have to give up any more of your ongoing profits that you need than you need to to other investors. The other thing that kind of goes closely with capacity is the term capital. And this is where there can also be a disconnect between an entrepreneur and a bank. Uh, capital means, you know, you've got to have some uh, patient money at risk as well as, you know, asking the bank to take the risk from a debt perspective. So what's that mean? That means you got to have your own skin in the game. You got to have your own equity coming into a deal. Now that's less and less important as a business matures and has its own track record. Then you can rely more on leverage uh, through debt financing through a bank. But up front, banks going to want to see a reasonable amount of equity coming into a deal, and that's that's a, a tug of war um, with aspiring entrepreneurs because they don't always think about the investment that they have to make. And we all know saving money towards any project, whatever it be, whether it be personal or commercial, takes time. So, you know, oftentimes, particularly when when it's a new business or a business acquisition, and we'll get into acquisition specifically here in a minute, um, you know, small business owners have to save up some funds of their own or through investors to uh, to come into the loan along with or into the project along with bank financing. And the one thing that the pandemic taught us and any recession teaches us is more equity in a business, the, the better it's equipped to survive. The more leverage you have, the more debt you have, the less staying power wherewithal you have. When the economy goes soft or we have a, you know, a pandemic and you're closed down for a period of time or you're restricted in your operations. So capital is oftentimes another kind of disconnect for an aspiring entrepreneur for what, what they're looking to do versus what a bank's willing to do. Well, one thing I'm thinking about, David, as you're going through this is that, you know, one of the things we always stress to our business owner clients is that you still have to save money in your personal balance sheet. You know, a lot yep. of owners say, I'm, I'm, I'm all into my business. I'm, I'm reinvesting everything I have back into it. And yeah, you need to be pouring a lot back into the company, but we always stress it's also still important to build a lot of liquidity on your own personal balance sheet because like you mentioned in the pandemic, yeah, business equity helps, but that can drive quickly. And sometimes you have to inject capital back into your business or you might need that that liquidity in the first place just to be able to qualify for the loan. Is that a fair right. statement? Fair statement. You're going to want to see the liquidity in the business up front, but you're going to want to have some money on the sidelines on your personal balance sheet in case you run into some difficulty in your business or something goes on in the economy um, that makes it challenging you know, to operate profitably. I equate the two. 
um, with closely held businesses like we deal with at Enterprise, there's so much interaction between the owner's personal balance sheet and the business balance sheet that both are important, um, you know, from a liquidity and from a, you know, an equity net worth perspective. Absolutely. And they have, they have to complement each other and they have to be able to Absolutely. feed each other. Absolutely. And then the last two uh, C's that I'll touch on briefly, and they're, uh, you know, the the one, uh, the next one is collateral, and that's more bank driven. So, and again, that applies more when a business is unproven, it's early stage. You know, banks want, always are looking for what we call a secondary source of repayment. So, you know, unfortunately, bankers are pessimistic pessimistic by nature even we at enterprise do an analysis when we make a new loan and after uh you know we look at what if the business fails how do we get uh, as much of our money back as we can so you look at uh, collateral as a secondary source of repayment now banks and all lenders are notoriously bad <laughs> at liquidating collateral uh, i always say i don't want your collateral as much as i want your cooperation so that if things go south you know how to liquidate your assets because you're in that industry. You have the contacts to sell it because banks are notoriously bad at doing that, whether we have to foreclose on real estate or auction off, you know, business personal property. You know, the collateral uh, has more value when the owner is engaged in a worst case scenario of a business failure um, to help us recoup as much as we can, uh, you know, on the loan. The last thing and this has become really, really important after we went through the Great Recession and after we went through the, the COVID-19 pandemic, which is conditions. Conditions are we look at what is going on outside of your business that can adversely affect your business. So, you know, we're looking at the overall economic conditions, like right now with inflation the way it is, interest rates increasing the way they are. We're stress testing. Uh, when we do our underwriting, you know, what happens if your supply costs go up another 10% or 20% as they have in a lot of industries in the last couple of years? What happens if the variable interest rate on your line of credit increases another two points? So those conditions that for a long time we were rocking and rolling as an economy and as a country weren't that important. But after you go through the turmoil that we've gone through, particularly with COVID, those conditions that are of no fault of the business owner or the management team at the business can come into play. So that's that's another thing that b business owners need to think about, whether they're existing or starting up or all those potential conditions outside of their control that can affect how they operate. So what are some of the ways that you guys could, could structure a loan uh, based on the needs of the business that you're lending to? Yeah, so uh, great topic. Loan structuring is is very very important. You always want to match the structure of the loan to the purpose of the financing. Where is the money going to? And some things are very very obvious. You know, you're buying a building. A building has an extended useful life to to your business if you're buying a commercial property. Um, so yeah, you. You should be looking for long long term commercial mortgage financing, you know, anywhere from fifteen to twenty five years. Equipment. You want to finance equipment for your business only as long as it's going to be useful to your business. You don't want to finance computer equipment over ten years. 
At the same time, you don't want to finance machining equipment over five years. You got to look at the useful life of that asset for your business because you don't want to be paying debt on something that's no longer of value to you as an asset in your company. Where it gets tricky is working capital. I can't tell you how many people call me up and say, hey, I'm growing significantly or I'm starting a business and I want a line of credit. No, you don't want a line of credit. A line of credit is for nothing more than the, to bridge the short-term gap between when you expend money to produce your good or service or pay your people and when you collect for that if you're in a business-to-business -business world. That's what a line of credit is for. If you're going to use working capital to invest in the growth of your company or to start up your business, that's an investment that's a longer term investment. So you're going to want to finance that over a long period of time. Now, not as long as a real a building or a piece of equipment, but you're going to want to have a five, maybe even seven year term on working capital that's going to be used for either growth or startup. And, you know, the bane of my existence are, 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 inexperienced bankers and lenders that want to give everybody a line of credit, even though that's not what they need. Uh, same with a business acquisition. A business acquisition, you're acquiring the business, you're making an investment, a long-term investment in buying that business. So you want to finance that over a term period. A lot of cases, you're going to have both. You're going to have a need for term financing, and you're going to have a need to bridge the cash gap in uh, and, and open up the cash that's tied up in your receivables. So it, oftentimes it's it's a combination of both, but you always got to look at what the ultimate purpose is to determine how to structure it. That's a great point because I think sometimes, like you mentioned, businesses, they start growing very rapidly. And next thing you know, they're like, where's the cash flow going to come from? I've got these opportunities I want to act on, but we're a little short on cash. And I, I think that for a lot of owners, it's always been, I, I'll just run up this line of credit. Yep. And that, uh, you know, for a period of time, that, that may have been easy when interest rates were low, but now with interest rates in the rise, that, that option's not uh, quite as attractive as it may have been at one time. doesn't mean you don't still have a line of credit, but it's just not that, that quick, easy answer that, that owners have uh, found in the past. Yeah. And, 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 you know, let's talk about interest rates here for a second, because we're in really strange territory right now. You know, the, and I'm sure you're, you know, you're well-versed in this from the investment side, the interest rate curve is inverted at this point. Well, what does that mean? That means that actually short-term borrowing rates are more expensive than long-term borrowing, borrowing rates. That doesn't happen too often. So we're in a, in a situation now where it's actually cheaper in many cases to get term financing that has some level of fixed rate versus using a line of credit that's on a variable rate. Give you an example. You know, the five-year treasury rate, which is what we use for our term financing for equipment, real estate, and even what we call permanent or longer-term working capital, that index is at 4% right now. It's hovering up and down around 4%. The prime lending rate, which most lines of credit are based on, is 8% right hmm. now. So it is another important consideration when you start talking about using a line, particularly if you're going to use a line for a longer term need. It's not only is it not the right structure, it's more expensive for you right now. Right. And you have less predictability of your cash flows too. What if those Absolutely. rates go higher? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, the interest rate environment, you know, if I had the crystal ball, uh, I wouldn't be talking to you two wonderful <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> You'd be on your yacht uh, right now. Calling yeah, exactly. Us from someone but, in the Caribbean. Yeah, but it's it, it's really challenging right now because, uh, you know, a lot of business owners, 
uh, particularly in, in today's market, even if they have existing debt, they may have got that debt, you know, when, you know, interest rates were short-term rates were near zero um, or the five-year treasury rate was 2%. Well, commercial loans are not like home mortgages where they're fixed for 15 or 20 or 30 years. Most commercial loans, even if you get a fixed interest rate, they're typically not going to be fixed more than five years at a time. So you got a lot of business owners right now that are coming off of very cheap money uh, that their loans are repricing now at much, much higher rates. Uh, so that's something all business owners should be looking at right now is, is look at your long-term debt that you have, pull out your promissory note, see when when that rate's going to adjust and at what level it's going to be just adjust and and try to be proactive with your bank to not get into you know an, an usury or an onerous type interest rate that's happening all the time right now right you know what just all of a sudden next thing you know that that rate's about to adjust and uh you don't have time to really deal with it i mean you want to be as proactive with this as, as possible exactly i mean it's really important right now to really pay attention to your rate structures particularly if you're an established business with good cash flow i say it this way the banks have all the leverage in terms of you know, what interest rate you're going to be charged when you're either a new business or you've had a difficult period of time and you're coming out of a bad time. But when you're established and, and strong and bankable with any bank, the leverage is yours. So, you know, your bank uh, should be proactively contacting you because no banks want to lose customers to an interest rate adjustment um, that they could have headed off at the past. And, you know, obviously, it's always based on what your risk profile is. But uh, there's a lot of business owners whose bankers aren't paying attention right now. They're going to end up with a rate that's higher than they should have. So Dave, question, you know, this may not be for the folks that are used to um, you know, lending in the small business environment, uh, they have a great relationship with their banker, but some folks that are maybe a little bit newer to the game, what, what's some of the information that they might need in order to be considered for uh, small business financing? Yeah, and this is this is a frustrate uh, a frustration for all business owners that apply for bank financing, whether they they are new or they're well established. You know, as I said, banks are subject to examination and audit and oversight by a whole different bunch of different government agencies. So we have to have a standalone file that holds up to that scrutiny. So you know, we paper the file with a lot of information that a lot of business owners and even me in some cases think is over the top, but it's necessary. But, you know, typically for existing businesses, we're going to want to see, um, you know, the last three years of year-end financial statements. Uh, if you have those prepared by CPA, if you don't, we're going to want to see your last three years, you know, business tax returns. You know, this time of year is really challenging for banks because if, if, if you didn't get to your accountant early, um, then you're going to be on extension and waiting for those 2022 tax returns. So having good internal uh, financial statements and internal accounting is a remedy to that. Right now, we will accept you know QuickBooks or whatever you use for your internal bookkeeping and, and accounting. We'll accept those internally generated numbers for 22. And, and most banks are all also going to want to see a year to date within the last 90 days. Uh, so right now we're kind of getting beyond where we can just use year end 22. We're going to want the first, ideally the first quarter of 23, again, just internal statements. When you're dealing with closely held businesses, 
personal guarantees kind of go with the game unless you're really strong and really successful. So we're going to want, you know, personal financial statement from owners. Typically, most banks will look at the personal financial position of any owners that own more than 20% of the business. Um, again, as you get stronger, then you can get into what we call what banks call non-recourse financing, which is you know, financing without a personal guarantee. But typically we're looking at the owner's personal financial statement and in last two or three years personal returns. And then we want to know what the business needs. So we're going to need, you know, if you're buying a piece of equipment, we're going to want the specs on the equipment. If you're buying a building, obviously we need to to know the the details on that and have it appraised. If it's working capital, we're going to want, you know, not a full-blown business plan for an existing business, but we're going to want, you know, at least a a short narrative on on how you're going to use the money. If your existing numbers or historical numbers show that you can service the new debt, we don't need to go any further than that. But if if you're going to rely on incremental cash flow or profits to repay debt, they're going to want to ask you to put together some financial projections, um, which you can do through your CPA or there's, there's numerous resources out there, uh, small business development centers uh, that, that can help you do those types of financial projections. So I know we want to talk a little bit about uh, SBA lending, but uh, before we do that, I thought it'd be helpful if you could just speak to what goes into financing a buyout, because I think a lot of owners, um, you know, this is why we do a lot of exit planning in our practice. Yeah, they, they start to get this this thought that, you know what, I might be reaching the end of my career and it's time for me to exit. And I've got some some wonderful key people in the company. I'm just going to sell it to them. And I think a lot of times owners just think that it's going to be easy, that they're just going to take this big loan. They're going to buy them out. They're going to ride off into the sunset. But uh, it doesn't work out that smoothly in real life. Can, can you talk about what goes into financing a buyout uh, when it comes to insiders with the company? Sure, sure. And and that's where you know I, we talked about SBA. Um, so one of the major types of of transactions that SBA backing is used for is business acquisition financing. And and there's several reasons for that. The one, uh, probably the biggest reason is, you know, a lot of businesses are well-established, have good cash flow, have a good customer base, uh, have a good management team, but the seller's not, for good reason, is not going to be willing to sell that business for just the value of the hard assets. Um, It's selling uh, its goodwill. And goodwill is basically that intangible asset that comes from uh, having long-term profits and cash flow and a good uh, employee base and good customers. That goodwill, unfortunately, doesn't equate to collateral uh, for a conventional uh, bank loan. So what happens in a lot of circumstances is a bank can use the government guarantee through the SBA to mitigate uh the lack of collateral associated with financing goodwill. The other thing that SBA can do in a business acquisition scenario, particularly when you're doing an insider buyout, you know, maybe it's a key manager, a group of managers, those folks typically, you know, aren't making enough personal income to put 20 or 25 percent down uh, or more based on the level of goodwill involved to get a conventional bank loan. With the SBA backing, SBA will allow owners uh, or new 
new buyers to buy in buy a business for as little as 10% down. And it will even allow sellers to participate in up to 5% of that 10% uh, requirement. So it works really well for the business insider that maybe hasn't had the level of income or couldn't save enough um, to provide a typical down payment uh, for a conventional type loan to buy the business. But with SBA and some seller skin in the game, some seller financing can make that work using the SBA guarantee program. So that's an easy deal for the bank. Even though it's only 10% down and it's highly leveraged, we don't have as, as great a worry with an insider buying the business as we do with someone coming in cold as a third party because we know that the insider knows how the business runs and is part of the management team. So it's it's easy it's easier from a risk perspective, and it allows an opportunity for insiders to buy in that don't have a whole ton of cash sitting on the sidelines. So let, let's talk about other uh, other options through the SBA. I mean, what else can an owner do with SBA lending? So you know the the, the advantages of SBA are usually, um, as I said, in the startup scenario where there's no established track record, you're lending off a business plan and financial projections. It could be that they're in an industry type that you know has higher than normal defaults, and some banks won't lend to those industries without having some type of a credit enhancement, like an SBA guarantee. Uh, it could be kind of like I talked about with business acquisition financing. Um, it could be that they don't have the traditional level of down payment or equity injection to put into the business that SBA can mitigate. But probably the number one reason where SBA makes sense is businesses that are not hard asset intensive. Because again, SBA can shore up that collateral issue that a lot of those service-based businesses have a challenge with because they don't have a lot of real estate or equipment or tangible assets that that a bank can can get its arms around. The other side benefit of SBA lending is SBA will allow the bank to do longer term financing than a bank would do conventionally. Give you an example. So, I talked about that working capital to either start up or grow. You know, typically if a bank conventionally makes a a permanent working capital loan, it's going to be 3 to 5 years. SBA will let us go to 10 on that. What's that mean? That means that the payments are much lower. Yeah, so a lot um, less cash flow pressure. A lot less cash flow pressure, a lot more room to breathe for a business that's either starting or expanding because of the longer terms that SBA provides. So is it will they do the same thing for uh, a buyout loan as well? Because that was one thing I was going to add a minute ago when you're talking about an insider buying the company is that sometimes I see that you know the, the, the business is financed in a way where yeah, that's great. The, the loan was approved, but the new owner, this key person that's now an owner in the, in the business or maybe the owner, by the time they they earn revenue in the company and they pay taxes, there's not much left except for cash to pay this note. And it's like, great, they're making their payments, but they're living pretty lean personally just because of the way this, this deal was structured. But being able to stretch those loans out to relieve that cash flow pressure can be, can be a huge difference. Yeah. So I, just equating back to what I said. So Conventional business acquisition financing is typically done on relatively short terms, much like permanent working capital is done conventionally. And typically, it's hard to get a bank to do a conventional business acquisition loan for getting the real estate. Now, if there's real estate involved, 
that portion can be financed over, you know, 15 to 25 years. But if it's, if it's just the business itself, typically five years, SBA will let you go 10. So, you know, that means a world of difference in terms of monthly payment and cash flow for, for the new owners that are buying, Absolutely. It, buying yeah, a business. Could be, could be and some, some late great news, which I don't have a lot of detail on yet. SBA uh, historically has only allowed business acquisition financing where the buyer or buyers are buying 100% of the business. So meaning it is either a third party coming in and acquiring 100% of the business or an insider buying out the existing ownership. SBA just changed its regs literally two weeks ago um, to now allow partial buy-ins so mm -hmm. that employees and owners can buy a piece of the business. Now that hasn't been all you know, laid out in policy the specifics yet, but the concept, which was never available before, uh, is now going to be doable. They're supposed to have those new rules written by midsummer. So that's going to open up another possibility for owners that want to buy pieces of the business as they can, uh, rather than having to buy it out in a lump sum. Yeah, that's so really I, big news because there's yeah, a lot we can of owners. follow up. Yeah, we yeah. can follow up on that one. I know all the details. It was just recently announced. Yeah, perfect timing. Glad we had in the show for this. Yeah, because uh, yeah, there's a lot of owners that say, yeah, I want to start selling pieces of my business, but I'm just not ready to give up the entire thing just yet. Um, one is just fear of, of what are these people going to do? I mean, they've been great uh, as managers, but as owners, they can perform quite as well. So maybe I want to start selling them you know, chunks of the company. Uh, over time, which which can be comfortable for, I think all parties involved, you know, right? The, the bankers, the the person buying in, and the and the departing owner. So yeah, and it was it was just a big disconnect with the program for many years that uh, that Congress saw its way to open up that. Uh, we'll just you know devils in the details, so we'll wait to see uh, all the details of that over the next couple of months, and uh, maybe we can revisit that when it's you know written in stone, so to speak. Excellent. That sounds good. So uh, got a little bit of time left. So what, what are some other uh, small business financing resources or, or programs that are available to supplement this more traditional bank financing? Yeah. So, um, you know, we talked a lot about SBA and that's probably the number one, at least for us here in enterprise. But, you know, what, what a lot of small business owners don't realize is there is a lot of financing available and in many cases on very favorable terms available from other programs and other organizations to supplement what they can get from a bank. Now, the reason it, that those programs are not as widely publicized as they should be is because, you know, a lot of banks and bankers are incented by the dollar amount that they lend. Um, so they don't want to give up any portion of the, of the project financing to another program or another organization. Um, we're here at Enterprise where we're tied into the actual, you know, risk of the loan personally, you know, other programs are of value to us because it gets the bank's exposure and risk down, but it has a side benefit of having, uh, you know, favorable terms in a lot of cases. Just let me give you a couple examples. So the state of Pennsylvania has uh, what's called gap financing. And the SBA is a loan guarantee program. So we're, we're under SBA, um, the bank makes the loan and the SBA just insures a portion of the risk to the bank. Uh, it's still a bank loan. So it's done at a bank rate of interest, but gap financing is a little different. 
gap financing is where the bank does a portion of the project financing. And then another organization or program comes in and, and does a second portion of the financing. The nice thing about those gap financing programs is if you're providing, in most cases, some economic benefit to the state, the community, um, the region that you're in, they will give you below market interest rates to create jobs, retain jobs, or do other community good. You know, maybe you're in a business district that's revitalizing. Maybe you're in a rural area. So there's tons of organizations out there. The state, you know, has uh, what's called the PETA program, which provides gap financing and really provides, you know, I think, you know, two, three percent money right now for businesses that create X number of jobs. You have in the city of Pittsburgh, you have the Urban Redevelopment Authority that does similar things in city projects. You have in rural areas, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has gap financing programs. So, you know, oftentimes you know, there's better terms out there uh, if you're working with a bank that's in tune with those programs. And, you know, uh, as I said, a lot of them just aren't incented to give up you know, any portion of the financing because it runs counter to their compensation models and those types of things. Definitely. I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think, you, like you mentioned, that that's not always something that either a bank is in tune with or willing to share. Um, right. But, but I like the yeah. creativity you guys bring to the table and, and the education that you provide your your clients. Um, last topic before we wrap up, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, you were, you were explaining, you know, how the, the 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 folks in your organization actually have skin in the game. So when someone's underwriting the loan, they're not just looking at it from the bank's perspective. Um, you know, they're looking at that as if they're lending their own money in a way. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about about that arrangement? Because I, I think it's very unique, and I, I think it it just goes to show how you know, sometimes you know the folks making the decisions. I mean, they're really they're really going to bat and they're really trying to figure out how do we get this deal to go through versus how do we get this thing to not go through. Right, right. So as I said, the, the founders of the bank were entrepreneurs. Um, so when they started the bank, they tried to develop a concept where the lenders themselves would have that personal financial stake upside and downside in the loans that, that they make. So um, you know, a percentage of the interest that a, a borrower pays to the bank every month um, is that lender's compensation. And it's it's an annuity-based compensation model. So really, a lender only makes out, so to speak, from a compensation perspective, if one, their customer stays viable, i.e. making loan payments and interest payments to the bank, and two, is being adequately serviced and is happy with the bank. Because if they refinance in another bank because we're not taking care of them, their income stream stops with regard to that customer relationship. So it's kind of like built-in customer service. I mean, from a true direct financial uh, consideration perspective, in exchange for you know the lender taking a percentage of the risk personally and having to come out of pocket if the bank takes a loss. In our model, we delegate the decision and underwriting process to the lender. Where it gets really frustrating for small business owners, particularly in larger institutions, is you know, they're going to meet with a business development officer for the bank who's basically a salesperson for the bank. Then that salesperson who meets with the customer is going to send the application package to a credit department or an underwriter. And that underwriter or credit department never has the benefit of seeing the business, talking with the business owners, uh, and understanding the inner workings. 
Um, and quite honestly, you know, the credit departments and underwriters are are, are really trying uh, to make decisions based on strictly what's on the paper. Um, in our model, where the same individuals that are meeting with the with the client, with the business owners, um, and are doing the underwriting, um, it eliminates a lot of uh, uncertainty and questions and a lot of back and forth and time delays that typically happen when you have a separate business development person and a separate underwriter. We have a loan committee that meets every week, and but they're not a turndown committee. Again, because if our lenders are willing to take- Like the anti-business department. Right. right. <laughs> if our lenders are willing to take, and the number is 20%. So uh, each lender here is tied into uh, personally to 20% of any loss the bank takes on a particular loan. Um, so our com loan committee is not a turndown committee. It's do we know anything about this industry? Is there anything we need to watch out for? Do we have this thing, uh, you know, the right conditions, the right structure, the right rate? But it's not, you know, the only time I've seen our loan committee turn down something that uh, uh, one of our lenders brings in is if they knew something the lender didn't know, either about the business itself, about the industry. Um, but other than that, it's a very rare circumstance. So it's just very different than a way a big bank has to structure uh, its under, you know, small business lending function. Well, Dave, we're about out of time here. And th this was, this was excellent. I mean, this was like a whole crash course on like the, the nuts and bolts of, of small business financing. Um, but I know the audience, they may have some additional questions. Now you run a podcast. What, what's the name of your podcast and, and how yeah, do folks find it? Yeah. Ours is called Inside the Vault. Um, and we, you know, we run that podcast, you know, every two weeks. Uh, we're typically trying to, you know, address timely topics. You know, recently we did, uh, and the most recent episode we did was on the the current administration's new tax proposals and how those were going to affect small business. Prior to that, we did one on the recent bank failures with Silicon Valley and Signature Bank to try to make people understand those were anomalies and not a weakness in the overall banking system. So we're always looking for topics of interest to small business owners. And actually, Jim, we're going to have have you in here shortly to, to talk about wealth management for business owners. Looking uh, forward to it. Yeah. So uh, that's available on uh, all the podcast platforms and, and in video format on YouTube. And if someone wants to reach out to you directly, what's the best way to, uh, yeah, to reach sure. out they want to? Talk about sure. small business financing. Yeah, if you want, if you want to learn a little bit about the bank, it's uh, www.enterprisebankpgh. The PGH stands for Pittsburgh.com. Uh, my direct contact info uh, is 412-487-3810 is my phone. And email is dmiller, D-M-I-L-L-E-R, at enterprisebankpgh.com. And I'm Excellent. always happy to talk to business owners, even if they don't have an immediate financing need. I'm I'm a big believer in what goes around comes around. Excellent. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us on the show. I thought this was an excellent episode and uh, can't wait to uh, get the feedback from our audience. And uh, Eric, why don't you uh, wrap us up? Yeah, absolutely. My, my pleasure. David, I had so much respect for you just by the information that you're giving. And now to find out that you're a fellow podcaster uh, like Jim <laughs> that, that wants to educate the audience. I mean, that that's huge. Um, you know, ever, a lot of people start podcasts for a lot of different reasons, but it sounds to me like your ideals line with Jim's as far as educate the audience, help small business owners, help folks that could use a step up in finances. Um, so I'm so glad to meet you. I'm so glad that you're here on the show. Jim, if folks want to reach out to you and kind of continue a conversation or maybe see how that's uh, what you're talking about today and the other podcasts you've done, 
fit in their overall plan? How do they get a hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, easiest way to reach us is to email us at info at mcgovernwealth.com or you can find us on the web at www.mcgovernwealth.com. There's a contact us button on there uh, where you can give us a call and just tell us you listened to the show, you had some questions and, uh, and we'll make make plenty of time to address whatever on your mind. Yeah, and especially since you're going to be on David's show, I'd like to put a, a link in the show notes uh, to his podcast, if that's all right, because I think that'll Absolutely. be a, connect everybody. Yeah, to and Eric would like would like to do the same thing. Uh, you know, link to you, to this podcast here through our our bank social media and website. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get you all that information. So again, Jim, thank you so much, David. Thank you for being a great guest. And our last thank you always goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review. This is actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number 0F67329. AR Insurance License Number 7119103. California Insurance License Number 0F67329. Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103. Compliance Number 2023 dash 154748 expires May 2025.